0: Good morning. This is the California report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. We begin with a record that no one wants to see achieved. State fire officials announced yesterday that wildfires have burned a record 4 million acres this year in California. That's more than double the previous record when 1.8 million acres burned in the state two years ago. This year's fires have also claimed the lives of 31 people and destroyed or damaged over 8000 homes and other structures. Authorities are using record wildfire season to again warn Californians about the need to prepare for a catastrophe. Here's Cal Fire's Scott McClain.
2: You need to be prepared. You need to have your go bags ready to go. You need to make sure you know what you need to get in case there is a chance that wildfire comes into your area. And then I ask if there is a warning,
0: you need to go. When it comes to fighting ongoing fires, there's been steady containment progress against a number of blazes burning in the state. The state's wildfires have forced tens of thousands of Californians to evacuate from their homes. Such evacuations, with the hurried packing up of things and the rush to get out, can be stressful, even if you're young and healthy and mobile. But what if you're elderly and living in a long-term care facility? KQED's Polly Stryker has a story of a place that's taking extra precautions.
3: Helen Trinidad and her husband run two small boarding Cares in Santa Rosa, each licensed to hold six people. A week ago, one of her employees called to report fire trucks passing by. Then a friend called to ask,
4: Helen, have you received uh, the alert from Nexcel?
3: Trinidad saw her area under evacuation warning. She called an ambulance to send one resident to the hospital. She and her team packed up four others and drove them to the second care home they own in a more urban part of Santa Rosa. These are seniors in their 80s.
4: Most of my residents they have early stages of dementia.
3: Evacuations are stressful for these seniors. Trinidad says she tells them what's happening.
4: We assured them that everything is fine. Simple things like holding their hands.
3: Evacuating during the 2017 Tubbs fire caught Trinidad by surprise. But recently, she's been doing fire drills every three or four months.
4: Even before this fire season, we already have, like, plastic bins that (laughs) we label it with clothes for three days. And uh, incontinent supplies. And this box is for the medications.
3: Trinidad says she takes steps to reduce the impact of the evacuation on residents' health.
4: We try to uh, give them a stress-free environment. Like, we act normal (laughs) and... In fact, they still have their wine. They call it wine o'clock. <laughs> two, o'clock two o'clock is their wine o'clock. You know, same routine as uh, while they were in the other home.
3: She's been in this business since 2007.
4: We came from the Philippines. So as you know, it's in our culture to uh, take care of elderly.
3: Trinidad has no plans to quit this work. She says it's her calling. For The California Report, I'm Polly Stryker.
0: The glass fire has burned through Napa and Sonoma counties, destroying or damaging many wineries and vineyards. But the blaze also annihilated another symbol of the region's rural life, the Pony Express Ranch. KQD's Kate Wolf has that story.
5: Linda Aldrich was in her kitchen when she heard an alert on the TV. She was in an evacuation zone for the glass fire. Immediately, she started fielding calls from concerned friends and neighbors.
6: I went outside and I looked at my ridge and big red fireball all the way down the line. Hadn't come up over it, but I just saw the red in the sky and it was just like, oh no, this cannot be happening again. The Pony Express Ranch has operated for almost four decades.
5: And during that time, it's seen a number of fires come through the region. Aldrich had had to evacuate during the Tubbs fire of 2017. And this time she saw a similar scene.
6: On Highway 12, outside... All of a sudden, people are starting to panic. They're pouring from Santa Rosa to Sonoma. And same with Sonoma, people were just... It was locked up in both directions. Aldrich couldn't take the 12 horses she
5: uses for children's lessons and teen rehabilitation. She didn't even have time to grab her purse. So she followed her fire plan and left the horses in a cleared area with food and water. Then she drove to her son's house in Windsor, north of Santa Rosa, and prayed.
6: Just spending that night not knowing what happened. It was devastating. In the morning, she got a call from the sheriff to say the horses had been found
5: at the ranch, sweaty and terrified, but safe. When she went back to see the damage,
6: the fire was still burning at her house. You just never think that you're going to be one of those people. And and rolling down my dirt road, I was just like, oh my God, you know, just literally that's all that is standing is my fireplace. That's it.
5: Now, Aldridge is moving her horses to a nearby ranch where they can rest and recover long term. But she plans to return. And that's what her community wants, too. She's already raised more than $30,000 through a GoFundMe page, where she posted her immediate reaction upon seeing the smoldering ruins of her ranch. My house is gone. Oh, my God. Volunteers have been coming to the dairy farm Aldrich is at for now to help feed the horses and figure out what's next. Hannah Frederick comes every day.
6: I grew up on that ranch. I mean, I started with Linda at the park when I was... You know, I started riding the ponies. But, I've, you know, I've known Linda my whole life.
5: When she saw photos of the ranch's devastation on Facebook, she couldn't believe it. Memories came flooding back of riding with friends and driving around in the top field.
6: It gave me confidence. I mean, you know, I love animals, and it just opened a whole new door for me.
5: Frederick says she's glad Aldrich has no plans to leave.
6: She knows she's going to rebuild, so I'll definitely be out there when she, as she's rebuilding and helping her out. You know, I, I hope to make some new memories out there. As for Aldrich, she's ready to get to work. It's going to take time and it's going to take money, but, you know, this is our community. You know, we're here to stay. For the California
5: Report, I'm Kate Wolfe in Santa Rosa.
6: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award winning fresh
1: air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's hey, podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of The Bay and beyond with reliable, human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED.
3: Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcast too at donate.kqed.org/podcast. That's donate.kqed.org/podcast
0: let's turn to this year's election and big changes in how we vote because of the pandemic for the first time every single one of california's 21 million registered voters should be getting a mail-in ballot in the mail this week kqed politics reporter guy marzerotti has more
3: today is the deadline for counties to send out vote by mail ballots this year to every registered voter in the state. Dropboxes are also opening up across California, kicking off nearly a month of voting before Election Day. This year, a record number of Californians are expected to vote by mail, but in-person voting will still be an option. And in many counties, including Los Angeles and Santa Clara, you can start voting in person today at the Registrar of Voters office. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati.
0: And some reminders about voting by mail. You won't need a stamp to mail your ballot back. Postage is taken care of, but it does have to be postmarked by November 3rd. But why wait, right? You'll also need to sign your ballot, and your signature should match the signature on your driver's license, state ID, or other official documents. That's super important. And if you want to track your ballot, well, you can. Just sign up at where's my ballot, all one word. Dot .sos.ca.gov again that's where's my ballot.sos.ca.gov Let's turn to immigration about 6000 undocumented immigrants held by US immigration and customs enforcement have tested positive for covid including hundreds detained in California and some detainees say they were quarantined in solitary confinement for weeks KQED's Farida Javala Romero spoke to one of those detainees and has this story
2: On August 4th, at least six people in Dorm B at Mesa Verde, a detention center in Bakersfield, were diagnosed with COVID-19, and staffers cleared the dorm to house only sick people. Alton Edmondson, a construction worker from Jamaica, had tested negative. But guards didn't move him to another dorm. They took him to an intake cell. Edmondson says it's a small, windowless room with a toilet but no bed. It was harder because... They, they serve me food to through through, through a hole like on the door, and it made me feel like I'm a terrorist or something. ISIS standards say people must not be kept in one of these hold rooms for more than 12 hours. But Edmondson says officials left him there for seven days. Then, court documents show, they took him to a cell ICE uses for disciplinary segregation. Detainees call it the hole. When then brought me to the hall, I asked why they brought me here, because I didn't do anything wrong. I said he was being isolated for his own safety, as dozens of people elsewhere in the facility got sick. They wouldn't explain why he could not stay in a dorm with others who tested negative. Edmondson says, in total, he spent three weeks confined, alone, for more than 22 hours a day. Yeah, I did a real depression you know, uh, ICE and the GEO Group, the company that owns and operates Mesa Verde, declined to comment on Edmondson's case. ICE's pandemic rules say people in medical isolation must not be treated as if they're in solitary confinement. They must get access to medical and mental health care, TV and reading materials. But advocates say ICE detainees report widespread use of solitary confinement for quarantine during the pandemic and some don't disclose COVID symptoms for fear of being thrown in the hole. Elizabeth Jordan is an attorney with Civil Rights Education and Enforcement Center in Denver. This is the practice
1: that
3: they're allowing their contractors to,
4: to use.
2: And this is really dangerous
3: because it places a serious strain on people's mental health.
2: That strain wore on another detainee at Mesa Verde, says his attorney Trevor Cosmo of Centro Legal de la Raza in Oakland. Chong Wong An was 74, from South Korea. In May, he committed suicide in a medical isolation unit. ICE knew he had a history of suicide attempts, Cosmo says, but didn't check on him as required.
3: I believe that my client, Mr. Ahn, died due to ICE's negligence and because they quarantined him in solitary confinement.
2: The United Nations says solitary confinement should never be permitted for people with mental illness. Cosmo, who also represents Alton Edmondson, says ICE doesn't actually need to lock up people awaiting immigration court hearings.
3: It's completely inhumane, right, to put people in a windowless room for 23 hours to quarantine them. Like, if you can't properly quarantine them, like, they need to release
2: everyone. On September 23rd, Edmondson became one of 140 people a federal judge ordered ICE to release from Mesa Verde due to the pandemic. Yeah, I feels great and you know, I feel freedom. You know? <laughs> First, he's quarantining at a hotel in Bakersfield on the judge's orders. Next, he'll head home to Georgia where he's lived most of his two decades in the US. He has 3 US-born sons. Yeah, I want to see my kids. You know? I miss miss them a lot. He says he hopes talking about his experience will make ICE detention more humane for others. For The California Report, I'm Farida Javala romero
0: And that is The California Report from Monday, October 5th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening and talk tomorrow.
6: Support for The California Report comes from two chairs, offering virtual therapy sessions designed to help clients thrive Two Chairs therapists have personalized care to over 4,000 clients in California. Learn more at TwoChairs.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And Personal Capital, offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools. PersonalCapital.com
3: Hi, I'm Sasha Coca host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state, because what happens in California changes the world.
2: I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California.
1: behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.
3: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book,